If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to Grand America Show. Coming at you with Ella LeBain, who's who in the Cosmic Zoo. This will be a good one for you alien folks. Uh, definitely some high-level alien stuff. A little too high-level for me, even. Yeah, it gets into religion and stuff, too, and the archons. I mean, she's she talks about the return and the end times, cosmic battle and disclosure. I mean, it really, her book is really comprehensive. It's huge. It's like an encyclopedia. It's, it's, she re-released the fourth edition of Who's Who in the Cosmic Zoo, and it's, it's doing really well. And she's got some some excerpts from other other authors that gave her approval to do it. You know who she mentions? Who? Oh, now I'm now I'm not going to remember the name. Uh, we did it. We did an episode like eight years ago called. Uh, it was about the love bite. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, she mentions that research, that book, and the the research. They became friends recently. Recently, pretty pretty, pr- pretty fascinating. Yeah, fairly recently before this publication of this book, I guess. Yeah. That was Eve um, Lorgan. Eve Lorgan, yeah. Yeah. That was episode 103. Yeah, because I talked to her. I was like, oh, we know Eve. We we had a great episode with Eve way back when. So that must have been like, what, 2014 then? February 17th, 2015. 2015, beginning of 2015. Wow. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Pre-COVID, pre-Trump. Yeah. Everyone just getting along. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about mysteries and yeah. spirituality and stuff. Bum, bum, bah, bah. It was yeah. all downhill from there, depending on who you ask. So, what have you been up to? Uh, well, moving, packing. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of schedule. That's good because I'm going to be working. I'm going to be painting for a few weeks before I move. So, um, just to get some extra, extra cash, work for a bit. So, you are ahead of schedule. I am. Yeah. Because you got what about three weeks till your move weekend? Yeah, yeah. But I got a wedding to go to in Saskatchewan this week, so that'll be interesting. That'll be fun. Is that in Winnipeg? No, it's in uh, Saskatoon. Well, uh, it's, actually, no. it's not in Saskatoon. It's, it's it's on a farm outside of Saskatoon, I think. Oh, excellent. Well, How about be- you? Any hunting? Yeah, we were out rabbit hunting yesterday. Was oh, yeah. it yesterday? No, it was hunting, the day before. Hunting rabbits? Hunting rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. The antelope rot starts like uh, probably might have started already. Might have started already. I'll probably go out later tonight and see, do some scouting. My freezer's pretty well full, but we'll That's be when, when everything gets back from the butcher. Speaking so, of hunting. Uh, I'm just mostly just hunting for, uh, just with the bow now. You know, the rifle's put away. 
at least until mid-November. I'll probably go take another elk. Uh, the elk goes fast. I share it with a bunch of people, you know. So, so. but you're doing? Are you doing that hunt with uh, with a couple of people? Uh, before In November. Or? Yeah, I'm doing it with uh, Anthony. Yeah, from the UK. It'd just be mind blowing for him, I think, to see how much wide open space there is. Yeah, I think from here to Madison Hats, like driving across the whole UK. Is Powell making it too? Powell is still up in the air. He's having, he's trying real hard. He's coming at least, I think, around the fourth or the fifth. Mm. He's trying to see if he can find someone to cover his his gym and his lessons for those few days. But he definitely wants to come. He wants. Oh to yeah, that'd be a fun hunt for those well. guys. That. That'd be, that's a really, really interesting hunt. I mean, just having all these people register at the army base and then go on this huge fucking hunt everywhere on this land. I mean, and you know, you kind of see people now and then, you know, sort of seeing how everybody else is doing in there. It's, it's, it's almost like a game in a way. Yeah. And you're pushing elk all over the place. You're pushing giant herds of elk all over this, Yeah, you know, 40 by 40 mile space. Like dude, that experience we had where, we saw the thing, this this herd of bull elk, I guess, climbing up this this hill. And we went way past them, then way up, and then way over. And then we walked about um, two kilometers, probably, one or two kilometers to try and intercept them. And we did. It was crazy. Just watch them coming up this hill, like all of them right there. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So it'll be fun. That's always fun. Like I said, the elk goes fast. We got an elk now. About 220 pounds of meat off of it. And, uh, but you know, by the time I split that miles and then mom and my sister and all these people goes quick. So I'll be ready for, and I didn't get an elk last year. So that's part of the problem. Missed out on a lot of hunting last year with the Egypt trip. Really didn't do much at all. Just antelope last year. So I like was, uh, lower on meat than I've been in three years, probably coming into this season but now i'm like i'll be once i get uh antelope with my bow which i fully expect to do this year and then probably a mule deer i could use another mule deer for sausage and jerky i got two put away right now waiting for a sausage day but i need another 50 pounds of meat to make it proper so i could use up all the pork that i got yeah Yeah. i'll make 200 pounds of sausage that's a lot of sausage. Yeah, well, like, you know, I only end up with probably 75 pounds of that. Yeah. Which is good. Lastly here, we eat sausage one or two days a week. We'll have a lot yeah. of steak. Is it what we were out of is we were really just eating a lot of ground meat and a lot of sausage because we were out of, like, steaks, and the steaks and the roasts all come from the elk and the moose. So Yeah. We'll be back up on that. Good to go. And this will be the first duck season that I don't have to worry about anything but ducks. Everything else is sort of God. I got to spend another few weeks fucking around with my bow while the lopes are rutting. And then after that, it's just settling to ducks for like two months. Nice. Well, I got an update on uh, the Malcolm Bendall technology from the Randall Carlson newsletter. Really? Yeah. Did they, uh, is the machine, I thought there was a test or something. Was well, yeah, we, I watched it. I watched it all live. I watched some of it live. I watched some of it on video and I'm testing it. I, I've seen the response and a write-up of another impartial person that's following along. It seems like it's gaining traction and it's working, gaining ground. It's dropping the 
CO2 and increasing the oxygen and increasing the efficiency of engines, like basically any combustible combustible engine. I mean, a lot of people have heard sort of heard about the controversy and heard about this going on, but if you haven't, um, check it out for sure. Look up RandallCarlson.com. He's still got it in his live um, videos and events, I think, on his in, in his website tab. But this is from his newsletter. So it says, over the summer, a number of developments have occurred that have unambiguously established the reality of the Bendall plasma technology. I mean, that's pretty clear right there. In June and July, the first industrial-scale retrofit took place near London, England, with the installation of a working prototype onto a 400-kilowatt Perkins natural gas generator, which is part of a power plant complex that feeds into the London power grid. The installation was completely successful, as predicted, by removing all harmful effluents from the generator's exhaust, including carbon monoxide, nitrous oxide, other hydrocarbons such as methane and carbon dioxide while simultaneously ramping up oxygen emissions from roughly 5% to over 20%, which incidentally is the optimum percentage of oxygen in unpolluted air in a pristine natural environment. In addition, engine efficiency was more than doubled. There were numerous independent participants and witnesses to the installation and the testing. So finally, we're hearing about that massive, and that was a pretty big installation compared to the ones we're talking about for cars or for for small generators, right? This was, you know, the ball, the the thunderstorm generator and the balls they were using were more like uh, like a foot or two wide, right? Not these little tiny things that that they showed in the in the Tesla tech conference. Um, so they've got uh, he's got pictures here. Installation of the thunderstorm generator on the roof and the gas generator housing. They've got a picture of the gas intake and all. And he says. The London build-out was followed by a real-time live stream demonstration of the assembly of the plasmoid machine and its installation on the portable 9,400-watt Furman natural gas generator the Tesla Tech Conference held in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The test results were the same as those of the London build, only this time the entire process was witnessed by several hundred people present in the audience, including a number of highly qualified professionals using state-of-the-art monitoring equipment while simultaneously being live streamed real-time and recorded. Um, might as well, yeah, might as well. So this makes at least six successful independent tests of the plasma technology on a variety of scales. Maybe now some of the opinionated trolls with their shallow skepticism will invest some time to actually learn something before passing judgment on matters of which they're uninformed while parading their hubris before the world. Below, and then he shows uh, a bunch of results below, and it just goes over the same results of the gases, you know, the time the time sequence of the gas reduction and the gas increases. So new material on this game-changing technology has been posted at howtube.com, so you can go there as well to watch it, including notes, slides, schematics, videos, links, and more. Check it out and start learning. Don't pay attention to the trolls. For those interested in delving deeper into the conceptual foundations of the plasmoid energy technology, posters of the plasmoid unification model are available for purchase. So there you have it. There you have it. It's fucking fascinating. And it's, I mean, this could be like, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to go over without some real difficult pushback from the, the CO2 green cult is who I would think would be, um, because this is getting rid of the CO2. They need the CO2. They need to demonize the CO2. 
Um, that's my opinion on the, where the resistance will be this time. It won't be big oil. It'll be the cult. The cult. I wonder, uh, maybe that could be our retirement plan. <laughs> guys. <laughs> totally. Um, like, well, I mean, I was thinking about that. Like, we should probably start looking at manufacturing these things or installation, you know, teams or something. I mean, there's going to be like, this is get in at the ground level. I mean, it's going to, I think it's going to go. It really just seems like it's doing what he said it was going to do, you know, increased efficiency with trans, like modern alchemy transmutation of the exhaust molecules. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. I mean, we don't have to keep that our eyes on that. Of course, speaking of Randall Carson, we got our trip with him coming up in two weeks. Two weeks, 14 days from today, this starts off. Um, people will be lining in Spokane right around now, maybe a little later. But anyway, that one is jammed to the rafters. We're like on the wait list and trying to squeeze some people in or people hoping for cancellations. So, but we do have wide open slates for next year. We have a Scablands tour in May and then part three of the Randall Carlson Mega Flood tour down the Columbia River Gorge. The inaugural tour is next September. We have that on sale as well, both at contactatthecabin.com. The real uh, exciting thing is, of course, we have our first contact at the Cabin Canada coming up. It's just been sort of lying around stagnant, and uh, all of a sudden people are starting to kick tires, and uh, we're almost out of private rooms. There's only one private room left. Everything else is uh, shared accommodations, but uh, there's only five or six spots left for that. So if that's something you want to do, if you want to come up, hang out in Canada, hang out in those natural hot springs. I think they're like the Laurentine or the something. I forget the, what they're called, but they're hot springs. They're right next to the river. The shit's just coming out of the ground. Uh, I mean, we'll take you to the tourist ones if you want to, but these ones are the actual hot springs out in the mountains. Beside the river, you go from the pool. I think there's three pools, if I remember correctly. And then the river's right down below you. So uh, out in the wild, uh, you, you know, there might be some other people there, but there's not like a ticket booth or, you know, that kind of stuff. There's no infrastructure out there at all. And, of course, we're going to do the wild game. You know, we were talking about all the hunting success I've had, so that menu will be, you know, we'll have some elk roast going for sure, a bunch of mule deer sausage, and uh, maybe some antelope burgers. Some good stuff like that. Maybe even some ducks if ducks go duck, ducks go well. I mean, if we go out and get an elk, then I'll do like maybe a whole back strap in, in the in the smoker or something. We'll have a time. We're gonna have an optional day trip out to the Nordic Nordic Spa, and uh, you know that is beautiful country up oh, there. Oh wow, it's a really beautiful country. I think when we leave the airport. Or one of the two will end up circling around and doing the Highway 40 loop, or maybe that'll be an option for the drive on on the day, because it it's only it's not it's a, it's a little ways, it's a lot, it's a bit of driving, but uh, definitely some people that have never been to Canada or to the Rocky Mountains before. Uh, it's got to be one of the nicest drives in Alberta, I would say that Highway 40. Might see cool. some grizz and all that shit. Oh, right? it's it's amazing. Those are some of my favorite drives. Actually, just I, drive. I haven't even been to the I haven't airport. even been the full extent of the one where we're going. Yeah, just the drive from the airport to uh to the venue is amazing. We go past Banff, past Canmore, past Radium. All that stuff. So. Yeah. That's incredible. 
Rocky so, Mountain Rangers. So I got a little, I mean, we can, let's, I mean, this will be interesting too, because of the episode with Ella LeBain, but I have a, I have an email to read from a listener. Um, it's a bit, bit, uh, I don't know, a bit scary, a bit dark in a way, but I think it's worth reading. It's from feedback about our episode 615 with Michael Ryder. We talked about angels and jinn and discernment and cycles of incarnation and psychedelics and stuff. So this is an email from an anonymous, I'm not going to say who it is. I've never reached out to host or hosts of a podcast, but your recent guest, Michael Ryder, was pretty spot on. I wish I could come forth with my haunting since my youth and dabbling in sorcery and dealing with jinn. It's native to my culture and the owl is not a friend. These ancient beings are shapeshifters and once they attach, it is difficult, if not impossible, to get rid of them. They're a force that should never be tampered with and you are very wise to be wary. I'm thinking about writing a book about this real life experience, but I'm scared to bring it forth again after a decade of fighting for my soul. I was gifted. I was a gifted child and later on a more gifted Reiki master. I was attached to the beauty I felt and tons of spot-on psychic visions and incredible healing for my clients, including cancer, depression, and other maladies. I must have awoken something from the past as well as invited something in. Within a few years of practicing, I became involved with, I, I became invaded with shadow figures and invasive dreams. Mind you, I hadn't seen these things for 15 years. Within a few months, my marriage went to hell. My entire family excommunicated me. I had several car crashes that were inexplicable. My own mind had terrible thoughts that were not of my own making, and I went from being rich and successful to almost homeless. The one thing restoring me now is my personal faith and avoiding at all costs new age and even natural or chemical psychedelics. I guess I like you both and wanted to warn you. Be weary in discerning and opening doors and crushing your psyche. No one that is healing knows for sure what they are communicating with. Islam wants, Islam warns that no man must interfere nor trust the jinn for they must live in their own realm despite them and man disobeying the boundary. Evil does not pronounce itself so, it becomes as, it comes as beautiful and healing at times. If you care to discuss my experience or know a ghostwriter, no pun intended, happy to connect, but in public I cannot speak about this because of the stigma and I'm finally starting to get back on my feet. Cheers to you both. There you have it. Thanks for the email. I mean, uh, owls are bad luck in in, uh, in a lot of Indian culture. Oh wow, really? Eh? Oh, I look them in the eyes. For sure. Really? You see three, it signifies death. I saw one. I saw a video recently of uh, of a bunch of native people in a in like a sweat lodge type thing doing this. This uh, they were uh, singing and 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 dancing to try and get rid of the owl, and the owls up in the rafters juking with the music. Huh. Did you see that one? No. He's just he's just going with the music. And then uh coyotes are good luck. So oh interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. What about wolves? Oh, I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure. Definitely not to be fucked with, revered. You know? Yeah. To be left alone. We probably killed too many wolves already. Yeah. I would say. Well, what else you got? Uh, well, I, I mean, I got I mean, I should probably have a UFO quote of the day here for, uh, for this UFO episode. I can pull out a couple from 
the X account UFO quote of the day. This one goes back to uh, because she saw a USO. Um, I would like to quote one of the prominent USO researchers from way back, decades and decades ago. Ivan Sanderson had a great book on this. Always claimed, hell, he bragged that he had originated ufology after the Air Force introduced UFO. That was John Keel to R. Hayden. Hayden. So that was a, a weird quote from Keel. I thought it was the UFO one. God damn it. I got to relate it from that one. It, oh, oh, okay. I don't know yeah. what just happened there. There's, there's something's going on with my Bluetooth. A oof, another one here. The a last game I tried to play didn't work at all. A flying saucer is any aerial sighting or phenomena that remains unexplained long enough for someone to write about it, write a report about it. That's from Hynek, who was, who was basically played him his real character was played his real life was played by a character in close encounters of the third kind that french guy speaking like of flights spot saucers i'm on what like that album we used to have yeah 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 speaking of flying saucers i the, i got a we got a really cool audiobook coming out in our podcast called the flying saucers are real from donald kehoe what a book Man, it's fascinating. It's all his research from like 47, 48, 49 to 50 before, you know, before the Robertson panel squashed everything. I mean, actually, I'm just at the point now where the Air Force was with him on board. They knew they were publishing all this research in the True magazine and uh, the Air Force came through like days prior to the release and, and squashed the whole thing. Really fascinating story. That's right. You can also add to that Think and Go Rich by Napoleon Hill is new. The Emerald Tablets of Thoth and Outwitting the Devil, all new, added to the podcast feed this week uh, or at Adult Brain Audiobooks. I think we said free this month will be Outwitting the Devil, Low, and uh, The Secret Doctrine Volume 1. Those will switch up probably tomorrow. September 5th, I'll switch those around. And uh, you guys also, today that gives you 24 more hours to download the free books that are available right now, the manifesto and the other ones. If you head over to download those today, then you get three more tomorrow. You got six books. Holy shit. Adult brain audiobooks. If you want to check that out, of course, you can sign up for premium over there and get access to it. I got 80 of the books uploaded so far and going. It'll be a total of 100 and some when I'm done. And of course, that'll just keep growing every month. America.ca slash support guys if you can when you can don't forget we are a value for value show we can't keep going or keep growing <laughs> without the support of listeners like you if you know we get some people don't like paypal or stripe but now you can head over to the grand america substack uh substack.grandamerica.com and you can support through substack if you want there's a couple different options there it's a little different you know but there's a different way to do it if you don't want to do the options that we have available, of course, you can, you know, we'll find a way. You email us if you want to support and you don't want to do the ways we have. We'll find a way to get your money. We promise you that. Uh, of course, the ramblings over here, the lazy ramblings have gotten a little shorter. If you start doing more of our news roundups over on Great America Outlawed. So if you guys want to check that out, that's where we just spend some time rambling, but about a little more coherent stuff instead of just our day to day. 
You got anything else? That's about it. Let's, uh, oh, I'll, I got to Ella's bio. bio. Yeah. Uh, so, ET experiencer, UFO researcher, Ella LeBain is the author of a five book series, Who's Who in the Cosmic Zoo, a guide to ETs, aliens, gods, angels, and exoplanets, a book series that discusses discerning disclosure of alien life and its effects on our culture and religions. She was originally from New York, was educated in Israel, received a social sciences degree from Biological Research Center of Negev in 79, where she was schooled in biblical Hebrew, and then went on to receive an astronomy degree from the Hayden Planetarium in New York in 82, where she began her serious study of cosmology. She spent two years working as a counselor and missionary in apartheid South Africa during the 80s. Her close encounters caused her to dig deeper into what has become a 39-year journey to get to the truth about UFOs, aliens, ETs, gods, and the angels, and how they all fit into the end game of our end times scenario. There you have it, guys. We hope you enjoyed our lazy ramblings. More than that, we hope you enjoy this chat. Hello, LeBain. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. Good to see you both. Oh yeah, this will this will be a lot of fun. Um, I you know right away I heard you had the sighting in in Israel, and I was thinking, well, that's where I kind of had a I had a pretty big life changing moment in 1990 in Israel. Wow. So, I mean, I thought we could start with uh, with your personal experiences, maybe, and we've got a lot to talk about your your book, like Who's Who in the Cosmic Zoo. Um, number one, but the fourth edition, it's huge. It's like an encyclopedia for anybody that wants to know about like ETs, UFOs, disclosure, everything. I mean, you got everything in there. But I mean, your experiences are really profound too. Maybe we can start with that, like your, your, your Israel thing. And then maybe what happened after that in 1995, I think it was. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Graham. Um, well, yes, I, I did go to school in Israel. And um, so it was in the 70s. Uh, from 1976 to 1979, and I lived in the Negev Desert, uh, and there was like nothing there for miles. Like you had to take a bus and travel an hour to get to the closest city, which was Beersheba. So we we lived um, on uh, David Ben uh, Gorion's. Um, uh, he started, there was a kibbutz, which is like a mile away. And then there was the field school where I went to school and um, he was buried there. That's where he lived. So he, that's why it's connected to um, the Ben Gurion University, which actually is in Beersheba. But this was like an arm of it, the biological research center of the Negev. 
So um, anyway, I was in a um, relatively small group. Um, there was about 35 of us living there alone in the desert. And, you know, there's no lights at night. And, and we would go out and see, we called them spaceships. And, you know, I later learned that, that we did, you know, America, the world, we did have some satellites up in space at that time, but not to the extent that we have today. So um, one thing led to another, and um, we used to see these something, okay, craft, I don't know what, coming and going in the desert during the day. Okay. So like at night we would see the lights, but then during the day, you know, there wasn't like a cloud in the sky. It was like a bluebird sky. There was no weather, you know, it's just hot and dry, just normal desert heat. And then all of a sudden, like something was either coming or going and kicking up a lot of dust. And, and we were just completely covered in, in dust. So I, I, you know, I was always kind of um, interested in how that happens. They call them chamsin, sandstorms, which are kind of common in desert uh, uh, areas. But but there was nothing to create it. There was no wind, you know. And sometimes when there's weather and there's wind, okay, well then that's logical that it kicks up the dust. But there was no weather wind. So. I believe what was happening there were uh, ships, craft coming and going through some portal in the desert. So um, fast forward into the 1990s, I uh, became, I started going down all these rabbit holes because as you mentioned, I had another experience in 1995. Um, I was living in Florida on uh, Indian Rocks Beach, which is the Gulf of Mexico. And, and so uh, the sun sets in the West and that was something that we used to do at night. It was just like a ritual going to the beach to watch the sunset. And um, I, you know, one night it was just warm, balmy, not a cloud in the sky. Uh, the sun was down. The stars were out, and you know, a lot of my my neighbors and I we used to just hang out on the beach just because it was comfortable. And all of a sudden, I start to hear rumbling and swishing sounds coming out of the water. And uh, you know, it's not unusual to have dolphins, a pod of dolphins, come close because they they feed. You know, there's like fish around, and people fish there and stuff, but. And then I started, it wasn't a dolphin and or any dolphin, any animal. And, and then I started to see metallics uh, emerge out of the ocean. And, and I was like about 100 yards uh, away. You know, I was on the shoreline. And um, it, it just like emerged out of the ocean. It was this uh, silver disc-shaped uh, craft there weren't any visible lights. Um, it was like the size of a football field and it just hovered for like about a minute and all the ocean foam and the water was just kind of swishing off of it. It was almost like it was hovering to get clear of the water. And then it shot up into the sky, like in a New York second. 
and I watched it become as small as the stars. And then I saw some kind of like, it looked like a little hole that it looked like it, it created and it just disappeared. And I believe that was some sort of portal in space and then it just disappeared. Well, <laughs> needless to say, I was completely, you know, gobsmacked and shocked and I never seen anything like that. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so I tell my friend and who um, he was at the time, by the way, just let me give you a context. I was teaching these classes in um, St. Pete, uh, Indian Rock Beach, St. Pete area um, called ETs, Aliens or Angels. My focus was on the beings. OK, so that's the first book that you um uh, mentioned the A to Z compendium because, you know, we were trying to figure out like our abduction experiences. I had never really seen, uh, you know, a, like, like a UFO like that before. Okay. Um, so that's what got me started down ufology, like actual down those rabbit holes to figure out what the heck was going on. Why was it coming out of the ocean? And so that night, okay, so I was telling a friend who was involved in my classes, you know, they knew, everybody knew me, uh, what I did, and he was a member of MUFON at the time. I wasn't, I am now. <laughs> but, uh, and he told me that they received 350 calls uh, that night um, from various people along the, the beaches there who saw the same craft from like different angles. And uh, so I know that I wasn't alone and I wasn't alone on the beach either. So did, did your friends see it that were there with you or? Yeah. My name, I mean, we were just like, what the heck? Like everybody was in shock, you know, um, we didn't know any, you know, and, and like, you know, at first I thought maybe it was because uh, Tampa Bay has, um, the Air Force Base there. There's a big Navy presence there. Uh, there's a lot going on in terms of, you know, our government, military and everything. So, I, I, you know, I thought well, that, that that can't be theirs. It was way too big, way too, like, flat. Everything was just streamlined. It didn't have anything. No engine, no nothing, no windows. No, I mean, it was just flat. So... I don't know, you know, I thought, well, maybe, and then I started learning and going down these rabbit holes and learning about that, you know, we have this secret space program that uh, has been uh, being manufactured uh, underground at various locations on the planet since World War II. So, of course, I questioned what I saw might have been that, okay, but then I started to have symptoms, okay? And um, so 1995 was the year that I kind of woke up, you know, to a lot of this stuff, as well as my own experiences. So I was being taken and abducted and used in the alien uh, human hybridization program. So it, it, exactly six months later from that sighting that I that I had, I woke up one night, you know, I don't want to gross you guys out because, you know, but it's like female stuff. And I was thought I was having my monthly, you know what? And uh, 
I took like an ibuprofen and went to bed. You know, I was a little crampy and I woke up and these two, uh, like four and a half, five foot, not even five foot, four foot tall, little gray beings with black button eyes. Okay. Not the, the usual, um, almond shaped eyes that everyone sees, but they were buttons, black buttons. They were white, little gray beings, two of them at the foot of my bed, just standing there. I woke up, I was like, like that. And, and I felt all crampy and I went to the bathroom and I saw, I passed something and saw something I never saw before. (laughs) So I called my husband and then we called the emergency room and he took me straight into the emergency. They told me, whatever it is, just scoop it up in a Ziploc bag and bring it down. And long story short, they had everything tested. They said that I was um, between, you know, like six to eight weeks. It was like eight weeks pregnant, you know, and they said everything was intact. I didn't need a DNC, which is usually what happens after miscarriages. Um, and the only thing missing was the fetus. (laughs) So that, whoa, you know, and I had like hormonal changes and I was like, you know, the next day crying, you know, on the bed, on the couch and in the daylight again, this is all happening in broad daylight. And this other being just shows up at the foot of my couch, white long, wispy hair, big, blue, human-looking eyes, okay? And, and like, this gaunt face and, and, and just s- stood there and said, we're the reason this happened to you. Because I was like, why is this happening? What happened? What did I do wrong? All this kind of, you know, crazy stuff that hormones do to us, you know? <laughs> and that's when I started to wake up to what was happening. So... Fast forward, um, April of 2022, last year, um, I felt really vindicated by that report that was released from the Pentagon um, that was written by these uh, doctors. Um, I think Gary Nolan, Dr. Gary, he was part of that. Uh, And they they basically, it was a 1,500-page document dump about the injuries, the biological, neurological injuries that come from having uh, contact, close proximity to alien technology, alien ships, or alien beings themselves. So when I saw that uh, and, and, and started reading through it, and I saw, you know, well, maybe that there might have been a connection between me seeing that, that craft so close you know, and then having the uh, the miscarriages afterwards. Um, I don't know, but that was just because uh, they did say missing pregnancies were part of the the you know on the list of injuries. Missing pregnancies. Wow, where can we see those documents? Is that the FBI dump that you were talking about in your book, or? Uh, yes. Well, you, it's now, uh, declassified and it's out there. So it's, it was the Pentagon, um, defense department. It was a 1500 April. If you look it up, uh, April of, uh, 2022. Um, and it's, it's free. You can get it online. You can look at it. 
Because I think two months after that is when they came up with their their report, that 15-page report or whatever, right? For That's right. Yeah. Yes. And it's just been one thing after another. <laughs> yeah. What an interesting time. Isn't it? Find, I mean, especially in your case where you've had so many experiences, like not only ET, but religious experiences. I mean, you're kind of stuck in that sort of like, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but in between religion and and, and the UFO phenomena. Yes. But, but do you find a, that the uh do you find the whole field is is more divided now or getting more divided because I know from from me I I don't trust what what I'm hearing from the government now. Like it, mm-hmm. so I've always been a, a believer in ETs but also all of the above like you write about in your books. Like I think it's sort of everything that that you describe as well. But um now that the government's talking about it now I've got less, you know, I'm less uh less inclined and I know a lot of other people like the whole sort of conspiracy realm or not the whole thing, but a, a good part of the conspiracy realm. They're like, they're now they're going towards like no ETs, you know, like it's all, <laughs> um, you know, government or interdimensional or demons. I mean, it just seems like ET is sort of the last on the list all of a sudden. You think, do you think it's divided? Do you think it's more divided now or, or less? Well, you know, the, the Machiavellian agenda to divide and conquer has been with us all along. Okay, so if they're not, people are not divided over this, they're divided over, you know, politics or gender or, you know, the religious stuff or sexuality. I mean, you name it. So, yes, I think that there's obviously division. There's always been division in ufology. There's always been different, you know, viewpoints. People haven't always been on the same page. But, you know, I think with this recent disclosure era, it's it's helped a lot of us. It, it, it's vindicating. Number one, it's a it's a it's a great time to be alive to watch this unfold, to live to see this, because you know before all this, it was all conspiracy theories, and and also the stigma that was put upon anyone who uh, was an experiencer, an abductee, a researcher. I mean, even this the SETI. You know, I mean, remember the movie Contact, um, which was basically written by Carl Sagan, but it was about SETI, you know, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and how, and that was in the nineties, 1990s and how she, um, Ellie, you know, the main scientist who, who, who basically discovered the, the, the signal, how she was treated. Okay. For even studying it, researching it. Okay. She, you know, it's always been an uphill battle, uh, for us to get to the truth about what's going on and, uh, and wrestling with these governmental forces that are, to be fair, um, protecting us because of national security issues. And that's a, that's a huge topic, national security, because not only um, about the other countries on the planet and you know the, the these cold wars and economic wars and all this stuff that goes on over the tech over the alien tech so that you know and and in some regards the more you get down these rabbit holes the more i see why they have been covering a lot of this stuff up and not only that but They've done multiple social experiments along the way, testing the waters to see 
how, where the public is at. Are they ready for this? Are they all going to freak out? Are they all going to have a panic? Is everybody just going to go off the grid, stop paying their mortgages? They don't want that to happen. Okay. We live in a debt system. Let's face it, right? They want to keep everybody, you know, status quo, paying your bills, paying your mortgage, keeping the banks flowing. And this type of information could really upset the whole apple cart. So there, it's not just about uh, social, it's also the religious piece, which intrigues me. You brought this up because, you know, like I kind of like, where do I stand? I never felt it's like I'm not from this planet. You know, <laughs> the drugs don't work on me here. I don't know where I fit in. Am I here? Am I there? I don't know what. But and, and that's exactly what you said is exactly, you know, this whole phenomenon. And I found I was, you know, like uh, the stuff in my books it are, are pieces that that I was questioning. So I'm sharing what I found. That's it. You know, I know what I know, what I don't know, I don't know, you know, so. <laughs> so what is the, what is the, uh, where do we go from, where do we go from here? What is the truth and what is the scary truth that, that they don't want to tell us about? I've been recently, I've been recently thinking myself because of some of the occult stuff that they were getting involved in before the CIA got started in the forties. So this would be like experiments they were doing in the thirties mm -hmm. and uh, that I feel like they realize that we have more control over our reality than, than, than humanity realizes that we can sort of manifest our reality. We can, we can summon, we can, we have sort of powers. We can summon things. We can do all kinds of occult things. And I feel like that plays into ufology as well. And, and it comes in, it bring, it, when the CIA got started, it was like, we have to just shield the public from all this knowledge because reality is way crazier and, and probably way, way scarier than they ever realized. Yes, I agree. That is a very good point. Um, they, and this goes way back to the uh, galactic wars the, the Adam and Eve story, the genetic manipulation of humankind, because they don't want us humans to have all these extra powers, the extra sensory perceptions, the ability to manifest, uh, to be creators in our own right. Um, you know, my belief, and you, you have my first book, and I, I conclude with this, that so I studied with Zachariah Sitchin. I met him. I interviewed him. I became one of his uh, international Bible study students. He was brilliant, very kind, very devoted. I mean, he was an amazing uh, man, okay, and he, a, a very accomplished. But, you know, part of the stuff that he unraveled from the Sumerian texts and and people just ran with this without like looking at it themselves or questioning it. And then all of a sudden it starts like another religion or some cult or, you know, you know how we're prone to that stuff. That the Anunnaki, the Nibiru, Nibiruans, you know, the, the beings that come from Nibiru created humankind. So I prove that is not the case. They did not create us. We were already here, okay, based on the history, okay? So I go into, you know, like Genesis 1-1, okay? The, the Bible begins with the, what, uh, 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 the, the aftermath of the first 
great deluge, which was the sinking of the civilizations of Atlantis. Okay. And we know this from, from Plato's account, from archaeology, uh, that, that there were more than one great floods, the great deluge all around the planet. We have evidence, archaeological evidence. Okay. So, so after that, and, and what happened there? Okay. This is, this is key. So the story is, is that, you know, they had everything, right? They were this technological society. They had it all, but they were doing some stuff that the creator God felt was going against the laws of creation. They were mixing and matching uh, different species and different, you know, genetics and creating all kinds of like chimeras and monsters. And we have this in our mythologies. Okay. Uh, they're not like imaginary creatures. These were creatures that came out of these genetic experiments. And the creator God said, no, you can't do that. Okay. So he, he ended it because they get, they got very arrogant and, you know, pride always comes before the fall. So he ended it and caused a flood and the flood, you know, the first one, like we used to have this bubble of water uh, around the planet. And that was, so in the ancient texts, it talks about how, how that, uh, the firmament, they call it, how it, got punctured because of that that flood came out of the atmosphere but it also came from inside the earth so then we see in the biblical text because the bible is a historical record i mean people could create all kinds of religions out of it but just looking at it as a historical record it says that this you know when they talked about the second flood that the waters were ordered by the creator god to come out from inside the earth as well as the rains, okay, which is why everything got flooded so instantly, so quickly. Same thing with Atlantis. So, so I trace this timeline and I go, okay, well, the Anunnaki story, the Sumerian tale is after the first flood, not before. So that means humans were already here, okay? And then I go into the rejected Jewish texts. So you know, because of our history of uh, the Church of Rome, uh, who basically canonized today's Bible, they did it under decrees. You know, here in America, we're supposed to be separate from church and state. But back in, in uh, the Roman Empire, the church and state were one. Okay, so they made decrees that were all to do with their religion. And they decided that they were going to sort of incorporate the growing Christianity that was happening in the first, second, and third century. So Constantine comes along and he creates this creed. He was one of the emperors of Rome. So this became law, okay? And that was anti-Semitism, okay? Because of the Jewish-Roman wars that were happening over ancient Israel at that time. Okay, or well, and before, I mean, they basically, I mean, actually 70, it was early, early, like 30 to 70 AD, then they destroyed the first temple. The, the ancient Israelites went in all different directions all around the planet, which we call the diaspora. So I trace, you know, where did they end up, these lost tribes of Israel? And I find 
that they're all over the world. They're, you know, uh, they've gone to Europe, they've gone to China, they went to Africa, they came to America because there's, and Japan even, there's, there's evidence of them all over the place. So this is a key piece because it dovetails into the end time, pro the quintessential end time prophecy, which has to do with the new, the whole, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city that comes out of the heavens, which are the skies. Okay. The word for heaven and skies is the same in Hebrew. So interchangeable and lands over a scorched earth. Okay. And then the Lord, the king of the universe, the Messiah king, he sits in the middle of it on, on a throne with an iron rod. And there's 12 gates that all open up. Okay. And they're all named after the 12 blessed tribes of Israel because there was one tribe that got cursed. So he wasn't, he's not involved in the end time prophecy. And then Joseph had the double portion. So his gave it to his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So there's the 12. And there's sapphire floors and crystals and gemstones. And whoa, it's phantasmagorical. That's what I call it. It sounds like a sci-fi phantasmagorical mothership that comes down and basically overlays the earth. And at, at the time of that, it also says that, that the earth, because it's scorched from wars, from climate change, from the passing of Nibiru that we're, we're due for another passing and, you know, how it gets scorched, all, all of the above. Okay. Um, and, and, and that begins the new age that begins the Aquarian age, the age to come, the, the golden age. And when I looked at this and I thought, well, when was the last time we, cause you know, things cycle, right? So we're talking about processional ages here, which are uh, 2,160 years each. So we're still at the end of the Piscean age because because the prophecy says that all this happens at the end of this age. So we're getting, we're moving towards that, but what we're still resolving issues that the Piscean age was about, which was also called the church age. Okay. And, and the, the Bible also talks about the times of the Gentiles comes to an end at the end of the age and the Messiah, the Lord, the King of the universe comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth through this heavenly city, this phantasmagorical mothership. So that's that's what we have to look forward to. What I looked at this and I thought, when was the last time we had an, because that's the age of Aquarius. Okay, there it is right there. When that happens, we have entered into the age of Aquarius. When was the last time the age of Aquarius happened? 12,800 years ago? No, was, well, I thought, wait, that. that's the one that's starting right double away. That. Yeah, 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 double that. Double that. 5,920? Approximately 24,000 years ago. Which so another 1,200 years? No, it's another 1,000. And well, you know, if each processional age is approximately 2,160 years and there's 12, so you can do the math. So, you know, the let that when that was going on on our planet, what was happening on our planet was the civilizations, the ancient civilizations of Atlantis and Lemuria. So 
my original point was that uh, human beings have lived on this planet since then. The uh, first and second books of Adam and Eve talk about how the evidemic race, Adam and Eve, or, you know, Sitchin coined that phrase, so I adopted it, the evidemic race, which is humans, were, pu were put back on the planet after the first deluge. And that's the whole story in the book of Genesis. And basically, today's Bible canon is a brief synopsis of the, the rejected Jewish books that tell the whole story. So if only those pieces were still in the Bible, everybody would have a whole different uh, belief system and, and perspective on who we are. Sounds okay. like ET, it sounds like ET disclosure, you know, it, it's yes. it sounds like a story about, you know, what's going, what's going on right now. So I gotta, I gotta ask you, have you read um, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth the Atlantean from the 1930s? I looked at it. I have not, uh, it's well, on my pile of things to okay. read. I haven't uh, gone into it in detail, but I'm wanna, familiar with those. Yeah. I want to read you a little excerpt from it because okay. we talk about the archons and you talk about the reptilians. And I was going to ask you when you were talking about the government, keeping the secrets, like I was going to ask you if they're captured by a higher entity, whatever that is. Like, let's, let's say evil even because of what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're speaking of Atlantis, like this sounds really interesting. So it says, in the form of man moved they amongst us. So something moved amongst them in the form of man. But only to sight were they as our men, serpent-headed when the glamour was lifted, but appearing to man as men among men. Crept they into the councils, taking forms that were like unto men. Slaying by their arts the chiefs of the kingdoms, taking their form and ruling over man. Only by magic could they be discovered. Only by sound could their faces be seen. Sought they from the kingdom of shadows to destroy man and rule in his place. Well, that pretty much sums up. I agree with other research corroborates that. Okay. <laughs> uh, the fact that we have been in this uh, galactic battle, cosmic drama uh, over our form our human form. And that uh, basically dovetails into what you mentioned uh, earlier about why, uh, you know, they've been keeping all this stuff secret because they don't want us to have certain powers. So that goes back to the Sitchin material where, you know, uh, there was a misnomer that came out that, you know, he was saying that the Anunnaki created us, but actually they genetically manipulated us for the very reasons that you just stated. And they wanted to create, according to the uh, the Sumerian uh, scripts, tablets and stuff that he translated and unpacked, a slave race, okay? So, I mean, that is something that this whole planet, our planet, all of us, no matter which country you come from or which human race you're part of, everyone has been enslaved in one... Well, form or another. Well, I mean, you could say we're enslaved right now. I mean, when you look at the lies that are happening and what's really going on in the world, I mean, all, all of civilization in some way are just being held down and, and lied to. I mean, and we're, we're, you know, they just want us all to be sort of at the same level of poverty, it seems like. Yes. Are they, so are they under some archonic influence or, 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 uh, yes. influence or very much. I like that you use that word, uh, archon. So you know, there's a scripture in the Bible, Ephesians 6, 12, 
that says we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this present world, who are the archons, okay, uh, and and uh, spiritual wickedness in the heavens, who are the aliens. So my first book just unpacks that one scripture. Who are they? Who are these powers, principalities, and rulers of the darkness? And you just said, yes. So we are every, that's why my, my Monica is, you know, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Philo said that in 10 BC. And there's nothing new under the sun. So, but here's the good news, okay? And this is why, you know, I hold the beliefs that I do because of my experiences, but it says, so, you know, I met Yeshua along the way, you know, in between all of this stuff. And I had a near death experience in 2010 and saw him again. And he basically told me to rewrite that first book about the aliens with him in it. So I did. And it's now turned into six books. Okay. So I wasn't expecting that, but that's how it goes. So, <laughs> but here's the channel. You feel like um, channeled? No, I wouldn't call it that. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, downloads, uh, teach like, like I, you know, there's this old saying, we teach what we need to learn. Okay. And I needed to learn discernment. Okay. Cause I'm coming out of, you know, all this stuff and being fought over as a child over the religions because my, my father was an Orthodox Jew and my mother was an Italian Catholic and, and both families were going at me, you know, growing up. And when I was 13 years old in my 13 year old puberty brain, I said, when I, I, I had enough of all their mishugas and their fighting. And I said, when I grow up, I'm going to marry a Protestant. Cause I thought <laughs> that it was somewhere halfway between being Jewish and Catholic and be careful what you wish for. Cause I did. Okay. <laughs> my husband's from the church of England, which is Protestant. Okay. So, and we've been together for 33 years. So, um, so anyway, the, the religious stuff definitely uh, plays a, a role in all of this. And um, I found, you know, I, you know, it's like you got to eat the meat and throw away the bones, you know? So I go in and I find these promises, okay? These prophecies, which I, that's what drew me in was the prophecies, okay? I'm, I, I, because of all the mishugas I went through with the religions, I, I wasn't interested in like, oh, I want to be a good Jew. I want to be a good Christian and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to know what the heck is this about? I was tested on it in Israel. I couldn't pass. Like, you know, here in America, you can't pass without gym. I couldn't pass without Bible. And, and the questions were all about, you know, it was all Old Testament, obviously. It, it was all about the prophecies. So that is where I kind of got started. And the prophecies talk about Isaiah 61 talks about, I have come to set the captives free. So I'm all over that freedom. Yes. That's, that's, that's the hope that we all have to come out of this uh, matrix of enslavement, subjugation, suppression of who we were created to be. So dovetailing back into the genetic manipulation, I uncovered this and I prove that 
that that that the Anunnaki did obviously they did not create us they genetically hybridized us manipulated us and downgraded us because according to the Adam and Eve story they had everything they were walking fired up with all 12 strands of DNA okay in their glory bodies this was like they were they had they were made in the image and likeness of the gods and and they were like gods themselves and this is where all this misnomer and all these taking things out of context and and yes it's written in not just the sumerian the egyptians because the you know uh, ancient egypt became inheritors of ancient At atlantis the land of chem it was called which is where we get the word chemistry from so uh it, you know so all of this history is all connected and so so yes they wanted to suppress us because of the the power struggle over who gets to be the king of the earth who gets to be the lord of this this realm okay so in the sumerian um material it talks about marduk in fact sitchin talked about marduk a lot okay because marduk was considered the he's the lord of nibiru he was the son of enkai and the, his uncle was enlil who he waged war against both of them he wanted to take over and 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 that's why they call the planet mars uh, after him Okay, and Mars used to be like Earth. So I find it ironic, okay, that here we have uh, in this day and age, you know, August of 2023, you know, the, the Artemis um, program, uh, NASA's Artemis program, which is their, their goal to occupy Mars through establishing a lunar base on the moon. And that's their first step is to send uh, people, the first woman they're going to put in space and going to the moon. They want to set up a, a, a base so that they can launch rockets from the moon to Mars because they know that this planet is going to get wrapped up soon. I mean, soon, relatively speaking. I mean, not tomorrow, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because what happened in the past, it's going to go through another... Uh, pole shift. We're already 40 degrees into it. Um, the reason for the, the the climate change and the warming, it's not about us. Okay. I need to put that out there because they tried to, there's another huge manipulation back in the nineties with Al Gore's, you know, inconvenient truth. And they wanted to just market you with these curly light bulbs and guilt trip you that, that it's your fault that the warming is happening. It is not our fault. It's the sun, okay? The sun is perturbed. And the whole, well, the whole solar system is perturbed, as a matter of fact. And why? Because we're getting ready for another flyby from Nibiru. But Nibiru isn't alone, okay? The, the nemesis Nibiru system has seven planets, 10 moons. So Nibiru is the only one out of that seven that is... Uh, elongated, tilted, doesn't orbit well with the others, you know, kind of like the redheaded stepchild, and and comes in and creates um, cataclysms and disasters. And this is evidenced by the past. And I thought, well, gee, you know, and then you have these two prophecies that 
that corroborate one in the Old Testament and one in the book of Revelation that basically a promise of God that he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. Now, again, remember the word heavens in Hebrew is interchangeable with the skies. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind because when people think heaven, they think all the stars or people are going to heaven, which is, you know, another word like paradise. But this is about the cosmos. okay, and the skies above and what we see. And that's another end time prophecy in Matthew 24, that there will be signs. the, The disciples said to him, how do we know when to expect you? when you're going to return. And he said, well, I'll be back at the end of the age and there'll be signs in the heavens. There'll be signs in the sun, signs in the moon, signs in the stars, signs in the skies. And when I saw that and I looked at the Hopi prophecies, okay, Native Native American Hopi tribes, they talk about the the blue and the red kachina. And and they say, when you see the blue kachina, know that the red kachina is going to follow and that there was going to be colors in the sky. And when you see colors in the sky, know that it's here. Well, we are there. We are seeing colors in the sky almost on a daily basis. And those colors are a combination of things um, the chem trailing, which, you know, puts a lot of chemicals into the atmosphere, and that's happening all over the planet, even right above you guys in Calgary. <laughs> you oh, yeah. see it too. Yep. And so, you know, they're trying, this is, this started in the 1980s. So uh, in, in the Reagan administration, it all began, it, it really all got initiated there. And he, President Ronald Reagan, dubbed the SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative, Star Wars. So that's why I have in in my fifth book, uh, The Real Star Wars, because this is part of the secret space program, what they've been planning, what they've been preparing for, because they know what's coming. They've been tracking this for decades. And I traced the blackout. Okay. So there was never a blackout on studying Nibiru or what they called Planet X. Now, we wouldn't be calling it Nibiru if it wasn't for Zachariah Sitchin, okay? Because he's the one that brought that Sumerian word to us. So Planet X and Nibiru are kind of one and the same. However, all the astronomers who were studying our solar system were, were looking at the perturbations on the last planet that they discovered, so, like, you know, they saw perturbations on... What's a perturbation? That's a good question. So, it sounds like disturbed, and it is. So, it's like they saw that there were um, anomalies, uh, inconsistencies to the orbits. So, when they uh, they discovered... Um, okay, so so before they discovered... They read it. Let me let me reword that. They rediscovered it because it's always been there. It was just hidden from them. Uh, the planet Uranus. Okay, I'm saying it properly just to avoid all the jokes because everybody loves to joke about that name. But it's pronounced Uranus, named after the the Greek god of of lightning. So they saw perturbations, anomalies uh, in 
in, in its orbit. So that's how they were able to, dis, to rediscover the planet Neptune, which was beyond it. And then again, years later in the 1930s, uh, they, 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 dis, they saw there was another, they had something was, and they were constantly searching for planet X. They thought there was another, there had to be another planet. And yes, there was, and it was Pluto. Okay, so in the 1930s, by uh, uh, Percival Lowell, he discovered Pluto based on the perturbations that he saw in Neptune. And then even after Pluto was discovered, they still continued seeing perturbations at the edge of the solar system, and which we also call the Oort cloud. Okay, and now we have what they call Planet Nine. So in my book, I kind of unpack all this because they demoted Pluto, okay? So Pluto was planet nine, all right? So planet X, like you can you can use the word X as like the X factor or the Roman numeral X, which is the number 10, okay? But th this all dovetails into the cover-up of Nibiru, which began under the Reagan administration in, the in 1983 through an executive order. When they saw, and I, I unpack this in my fifth book, The Heavens, um, they saw uh, through Iris um, the the interface. Uh, uh, you know, they they sent a probe out and uh, to the edge of the solar system, and it came back with a picture of Nibiru. Okay, and once he saw that, he thought, "Wait a second, we have to. This is national security. We have to cover this up. No one is allowed to even use the word Nibiru. They wanted to delete it out of the dictionary, and and, and no scientist. And then, all well, that's when the blackout began. And I met Sitchin in um, May of 1995 at, at in Washington D.C. at the When Cosmic Cultures Meet conference, and it was. And I didn't know any of this stuff uh, when I met him. Okay, I found this out afterwards, but that was about a year and a bit after he had this monumental interview uh, with the NASA astronomer, uh, the chief astronomer of NASA, uh, Robert S. Harrington. And Robert S. Harrington was tracking Nibiru, okay? And he, they were in charge of all of this stuff with all the space tech, all right? And the and and so so they he agreed to an and you can actually Google you could find this and they sat down and it was um, basically uh, uh, Sitchin was comparing his notes which he was uh, uh, drawing on the ancient texts and and Harrington is drawing on the current um, uh, uh, space tech, uh, uh, you know, the astronomy. And they met in the middle and they were like, yes, like they corroborated. It was, a, it was a, a, a real monumental point. And all of a sudden after that, this guy, 50 years old, perfectly healthy, comes down with esophageal cancer and just dies. Wow. The so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so, and you know, they're, Goes the conspiracy. There's another conspiracy for people to un unpack. And so, um, so is, that a, is that a whole solar system that's coming through our galaxy then? And it's kind of in some sort of weird overlap or collision with the Milky Way? Or, I mean, with uh, with our solar system? Um, 
Yes, it, it, we are actually a binary system. Our son has a binary twin, and I, I, which, which I call we call it nemesis. And it's a brown dwarf star. And we don't see it because it, it's usually behind the sun. But when it, when it uh, moves to the side, then our sun illuminates it. Okay. And then, it's, and then it looks like two suns. Um, and the ancients wrote about this. In fact, it's written in stone. It's in the temples. That's what all the red, the Egyptians, they, they worship this red disc with the wings. Okay. Which is all Nibiru. It's, that's great that you meant that you, uh, that you kind of unpacked all that because I, you know, it's something that I've, I get confused on because I've also heard in the mainstream, it seems mainstream astronomy over the last, let's say three to five years that, that there is acceptance of this planet X kind of thing. And then I just, so I, and then I, and then I hear that it's not, and it is. And so it's just one of those topics that I just don't even look into. It's like, I just, it's too confusing to, to wrap your head around, like, where are we at now with an official say on, on whether there is this sort of rogue system or not? Well, I, I don't work for the government, so I can't give you an official say. Uh, but I can tell you that that the cover-up or the truth embargo, okay, is connected to the U is to the UFOs, right? So UFO cover-up and Nibiru cover-up are intertwined. And I prove this through the historical, you know, not not deep history, but since the 80s. Yeah, yeah, since, yeah. Since President Reagan. So so he did this executive order. These executive orders get sort of rolled into the next president. And then they either like just kind of keep it going and roll it into their own executive right, order right. that comes under the heading of national security. And uh, did Trump, did Trump let it go? I was just about to mention him. I'm so glad you mentioned him. So it wasn't until Trump's administration did that particular piece get released. Wow. Maybe that's why it started to come out then. Mm, yeah. I mean, well, so here, so in my fifth book, I go into all this, um, you know, the astronomy dramas, okay? The the Berkeley, the uh, Cal University of Berkeley, California, with uh, you know Brown and 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 you know the I uh, International uh, Astronomy Union and how they why they demoted Pluto. Okay, so even the NASA chief who came here to Colorado to see you Boulder to talk to the the students even said, "Oh yeah, Pluto's a planet. How do I know? We've been there." Okay. And uh, he wasn't buying this Pluto's not a planet thing. So I included all of his remarks in, in my chapter because I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Pluto's a planet. We grew up with Pluto being a planet. The Sumerians actually uh, had it in, uh, etched in their stone. In fact, that's what Sitchin's 12, uh, the 12th planet book he, he, was all about was he explained that because this, the uh, Sumer, the, the Sumerians wrote this because the Anunnaki come in from outside the solar system. They come in, um, you know, everything comes through this Oort cloud. So they count from out to in instead of we count from 
in to out. Okay, so the twelfth, that's where where the twelve, and they also counted the sun and the moon as uh, luminaries. So that's where the twelfth planet heading came from. So they 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 went to a lot of uh, trouble to debunk uh, Sitchin. To um, a lot of it was uh, driven by a combination of anti-Semitism and the fact that they wanted to cover this up. Okay. So when I met him, which uh, was in May of 1995, and, and I sat in on his lectures and he came here to Colorado uh, three times after that, this, everyone asks the same question. When? When is Nibiru going to pass the earth again? And his, his answer was always, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And, and he died in 2010. So he was right about that. It didn't happen in his lifetime, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen in ours. But what was behind a lot of that was the powers that be sort of came down a little heavy because of this uh, interview with him and Harrington. And they didn't want this stuff coming in. They, they basically threatened him and said, look, if you're going to give uh, coordinates and times and that kind of data, we're going to shut you down. So he didn't want to get shut down. He had so much knowledge and so much information to put out there. So he never mentioned that. And he was, he, he kept that, but he was when I met him, he was clearly a little shaken and a little tight lipped, very tight lipped, but, but uh, shaken. Like it was like, it was like, Oh, don't go there. Don't talk about that with him. And, and he lived uh, to a ripe old age. He, he, he was, he died in his nineties and, and of natural causes, they didn't, they didn't do him in. And he left this legacy of all this, you know, the earth chronicles it's called his 12 books. And um, you know, a lot of us, you know, I see research as like a baton race, you know, the next person gets the baton and just unpacks it even more and goes with it. So, you know, I, I just took this piece, not the whole thing, and tried to sort of unravel how that affects us today and what this, the prophecies mean. So the prophecies about, and so, so, so uh, Isaiah 61 about, I have come to set the cast free, that, that's the Messiah. And then when Yeshua walked the earth and, and in uh, the book of Luke, his story, when he um uh, read the uh, the Torah, this piece of the Torah portion in the synagogue in Jerusalem, which is that famous piece. And he said, I have come to set the captives free. And this has been fulfilled today. And everybody went nuts. Okay. So, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I have to say, I am a witness. Okay. You know, and, and in a court of law, a witness eye testimony is considered legal evidence. And I have seen him six times. And one of those was a near-death experience. He is very much alive. Uh, the, the, you know, he was resurrected and he's still alive. And he is returning with armadas, armies, legions of of angels of heaven, extraterrestrials. So these are the good ETs. So when, when, 
when do you think that uh, I've got a million questions for you. Can you stay a few extra minutes here? Or? Oh, of course. Sure. So, so when do you, when, when is your sense that that's going to happen? Because uh, interestingly enough, that Emerald tablets has Thoth, Thoth is returning as well. Thoth is, is returning to, to basically do the same thing. So I don't know if they got that from, you know, from Yeshua or, or the, or Christ, but. It's very similar. There's a lot of a lot of this. So what 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 is your sense with ev- with everything going on now with disclosure and this ramping up? Like, because I always think that with the accelerated disclosure, all these people are starting to believe that never believed before. There's a, way more researchers into it now. It's it's expanding like crazy. And how is the phenomena going to react to this increase in consciousness? So do you think it's going to happen fairly soon? Uh, yes, I'm, I mean, we're in it. It's happening. Even as you and I speak, we're, we're, you know, bringing this up to the surface. So this is all about the expansion of our, of consciousness and the age of knowledge. We are in the age of knowledge. Um, so the processional ages. Okay. So when the age, uh, shifts, we're in the, we are in the transition right now. So remember the song in the 60s by the fifth dimension, the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That's where we are at. But it's like it's an analogy to the sun uh, coming up in the morning. So you can go out and you can see dawn and it starts to get light, but the sun is not above the horizon. And it might take about an hour for the sun to actually come up and then you start to see the rays. So as an analogy, that's where we're at in the dawning of the next age. So we're transitioning between the two ages, which is why a lot of people think this is the age of Aquarius because of all of our technology. Okay, and that is part of the overlap and the transition to prepare us for the true age of Aquarius. But the true age of Aquarius is when these these beings return. And Thoth, I believe, was uh, Hanoch. Enoch. Okay. So a lot of them had different names uh, in different languages from different cultures, but of course, you know, Egypt and Israel and, you know, they were very connected. So yes, uh, there is uh, prophecies that talk about the, the ancient gods returning to harvest the earth. In fact, Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew um, uh, 1339 talks about that at the end of the age, the, uh, the harvest, uh, will be by the angels. So there's angels. So who are the angels? So I, I wrote a book. My third book is basically all about who are the angels. And, you know, we've been conditioned to believe that angels are these, you know, beautiful, uh, winged, you know, Renaissance pictures, which was artistic depictions, but that's not who they really are. Okay. And they have the ability to fly, but they're every time an angel shows up in the Bible, in the old Testament, any and in the new Testament, they're men. Okay. They're human looking men. That doesn't mean that they don't uh, shape shift or they can, they have all these powers and abilities, but the, the, you know, um, Good angels and bad angels. Good angels and bad angels. Yes, I was just about to mention that. So there was a, a the battle. There was an angelic war, and one third of heaven's angels rebelled against the king of the universe, the creator God, and basically came to Earth and raped Earth women and created the Nephilim, and that was 
part two of that uh, period in history that created another deluge, because that's what was going on before Noah's flood was the Nephilim, and that and that and, and you know they 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 raped the Earth women, and the women gave birth to these monsters, these these carnivorous, bloodthirsty creatures, and the Lord Creator God said, mm, "Can't have that. We're going to wipe them off the face of the earth." And there was the second flood, which we call Noah's flood. And what I find interesting is that at the beginning of the Bible, everybody lived to be like 900 and something, like Methuselah lived to be 960. But then after Noah's flood, nobody lived past 120. So there was clearly a genetic downgrade to the human DNA because the telomeres and whatever it is that says we're going to live this long or that long was gone. Okay. Yeah. And then today, I mean, you know, you're lucky if you take good care of yourself that you live to be a hundred. I mean, I don't know how lucky that is. I guess it depends on how healthy you are, but it, we're definitely been downgraded, which is why yeah. the prophecies talk about uh, that when, when the Messiah King returns with his legions, thousands of legions of angels, ETs, the good ETs, because remember, one third rebelled, two thirds did not. So they're the good guys. They're the good ETs, and they're the they're also returning. So so that's one of the prophecies is that when he returns, he comes to restore all things and restore us back to our original state. So we've been downgraded. And when the geneticists look at our DNA and they go, hmm. That's junk DNA because they don't understand it. Well, God didn't make junk, but the Anunnaki disabled it, yeah. okay, to make us more uh, malleable, controlled, uh, and, and to become like servants in a slave race. They took away our powers, okay? So a lot of us are, you know, starting to get little glimpses of things here and there. You got to work at it, you know, all of that. But when he returns, he comes to restore. And it says that there will be no more night. I mean, all of this curse stuff, and it is a curse. There was a curse. Dole, the curses were doled out on the earth, on on men, on uh, women, uh, on the animals. So the, the, the scripture says that all of creation moans and groans for the redemption of the Lord because they all want to come out of this, this state. So, so he is the great liberator. And, and it's actually, and I, then I went into the astrology cosmology of all of this, that it was written into the star pictures. So that, you know, it's, it's a universal message. It's not yeah. uh, just for earth. I want to ask you about, uh, you know, Stephen Greer and, and the, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the division here between like, okay, all this, all the ETs are good ETs, but then there's the, you know, there's the bad ETs, there's the holy abduction phenomena. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and do you think it's okay then for groups to go out? Like I heard you sort of talk about Greer and his groups and be interesting to hear your take on that. But if they're going out to, to try and summon UFOs or look for UFOs with like loving intention and, and a good, you know, good hearts, they're not going out for any nefarious purposes. You think that's okay? Or would you just say like, leave all that alone? <laughs> that's a great question, Graham. Um, I would say leave it alone because you don't know what you're playing with. 
Okay. And because the deception factor is so great and people's discernment is so low and the wishful thinking is so high, the desire to meet ET, to, to contact any ET, regardless of who they are, what their intentions are, you know, and, and how they have these powers to shape shift. I mean, there's a script, a famous scripture in the Bible that says, okay, no. So the word Satan is Hebrew for adversary. Okay. So these are titles, not necessarily names. Okay. So that's why in my book, I always, um, uh, I don't give it a capital S and I put in, I put, I make it plural because there's, there's more than one adversary. There's, there's, you know, there, there's like a hierarchy of them, but there's a lot of them. Okay. So, so it says that they have the ability to um, manifest as angels of light. Okay. Satan can masquerade. This is the scripture in, in Corinthians. Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. Okay. Well, we see today that reptilians and this has been well documented, and this is in the book you have. And David Icke uh, uh, wrote about it, talked about it, that they have this ability to shape shift. Okay, so we had a, a, a TV. I was say the truth is stranger than fiction. There was um, the 1980s uh, TV series V. V. Yeah. Did you yeah. see it? Oh yeah. Have you seen it? Well, that that couldn't be like closer to the truth. I mean, it it it, it was so. Because they manifested, they came in and they played right into the human desire to have contact with benevolent, good-looking uh, extraterrestrials, right? And they all come in their spacesuits and they're all kind of, you know, beautiful oh, and healing, sexy. They're healing people. And, right, right. Yeah. And they're healing people and they're doing good. At least they appear to be. But then we see at the end that, it, that they're really not human they're, they're, they're lizards, they're reptilians, and they're carnivorous, and they came to absorb humans. So, so this is part of what the Monroe Institute coined the phrase louche. And this is in the book you have that I expose that part of the abduction uh, scenario and part of the situation here is that they keep us subjugated and suppressed because we're like a human farm. And they want they want to come and siphon our louche. And and that's our emotional energy, our soul energy, the stuff that makes us human. So like we're souls having a human experience because you 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 don't die when you die, your soul goes on, depending on where you're at and where you go, because there's multiple places to go. Not everybody goes to the same place afterwards, but you still are a soul and you're a spirit and you have a body. So the body is temporary, the soul and the spirit isn't, and they know that. They know how we're wired. So they wanna do, they, they press buttons, they manipulate, they do all kinds of things to get our loose. Are we gonna get anywhere with disclosure, with the government, with what's happening now? With the, have you been following that in, in detail, like the latest? I have, yes. I, I think it's, you know, the genie is out of the bottle so to speak. And um, there's, there's a, 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 a hearing that's coming up in the fall um, that uh, is by the Senate, uh, uh, um, uh, Senator Schumer, and he, you know, they're going to make a new rule. 
this is in my book. You, you have that. So once that happens, that's going to be another shoe to drop. I also have heard um, through the grapevine that there's about 40 whistleblowers that are preparing to come forward and they're uh, being vetted and uh, interviewed behind the scenes. So at some point, I don't know when, they'll come, they'll surface. But you know, our Congress is now paying attention to this. And this is the only issue that is bipartisan in our Congress. Because when we started this, you talked about the division. And there's been division like we've never seen in the history of America between uh, the two parties here. But the UFO phenomenon is the only thing that is bipartisan, that is that, that, that both Democrats and Republicans are working together on. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Well, the, in, the implications are huge. Free energy and all this kind of clean energy, you know, technology, spiritual advancement. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge topic. Yes. Yes, it is. So we're unfolding. I mean, this is all preparing us for the end of the age. And we deserve, we need to, to, to get, you know, we need help. We need yeah, help. I, well, I agree. That's why it's, it gets frustrating. It's like, well, come and are, I'm, I'm looking forward to when it just, when, when it's out there and everybody sees it and everybody like really believes because there's less people, it seems there's more people from sort of the normal side of things believing, but there's less people that have, that have been involved in this believing now, like people with, with the government action, like it's just harder to, harder to believe. Darren, Darren, do you have any questions before we wrap it up? No, well, how long do I have? <laughs> how long? Yeah. Do how long think? do we have? You mean as a planet? No, just personally. You know, like personally. Or I get caught up in the <laughs> in the age of the pole flip or have you have you followed have you followed the Diehold Foundation, for example? Because he yeah. talked about the pole flip happening. A full pole reversal because of the sun's uh, micronovas, I think, is what he calls it. Oh, yes. I follow that very closely, but Douglas not, Voigt, not he, from that foundation, but from says, other sources. He yes. says 1946. Uh, he says 2046. Okay. Well, um, in my fifth book, I give that um, 2040 to 2046 range. Uh, based on um, Jason Bashir's research. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We had him on, yeah. Yeah, he's very good at this. Okay. So, but here's another piece that I, I can add to this is that all of the so called experts were predicting that the warming was that we have just achieved this summer with the 128 degrees and, and the, uh, the ocean waters being so hot and also the warming moving uh, from the equator up. Uh, north, and this is due to the pole shift because we've gone from 40, we, 40 degrees into it. So we've gone from the Canadian Arctic, the North Magnetic Pole has moved to uh, Siberia. So that's like a 40 degree shift. And each time, you know, we're having these perturbations, the earth is wobbling. And as the earth wobbles, it's shifting. And and so the climate change, the, the whole equator uh, is weather has now moved north, which is what we were seeing in the Gulf of Mexico this summer. So I heard that the numbers that they predicted for the warming for this summer was supposed to happen in 2028. But it's 2023. So we're five years ahead 
of where they said we need to be. So things are accelerating. Okay. So I, I do feel that the 2040, 2046 uh, dates could very well uh, happen. It may even happen sooner. Um, you know, like uh, 2029, 2030, there is an asteroid. So let's, let's not forget that this, this is a system that is intersecting in our solar system. And so it, it, it works the opposite. So it has a tail. That's why it has the two, the split wings. And that's a, like, it's a comet planet. So um, uh, um, the, the uh, 1940s uh, Chilean astronomer, he coined that phrase, um, Carlos Muñez Ferrada. He called it a comet planet. And so what happens, it doesn't operate like a regular comet where the head comes first and the tail comes second. The tail comes first and the head comes second. And the tail comes in to the Oort cloud. And the Oort cloud, and we're seeing all this stuff, we're seeing an uptick, a market uptick in fireballs, meteorites, uh, comets, asteroids. And so 2030, there's supposed to be an asteroid that, that comes through. Um, this is also another part of our uh, a government um, space program is DART, in, and they are working uh, daily on trying to uh, avert uh, asteroids, uh, nudge them off of their orbits so that they don't come into our space and try to blow them up, just like in the movie Armageddon, you know? So, um, but without like suicide stuff, you know, like yeah. just using yeah, think, technology, not people. So, I, I think Brashear's Brashear's Phoenix event happens at one on twenty forty, and then this Douglas Vogt uh, Voigt happens on twenty forty six. So interesting, you got those well. It's interesting stuff. because uh, Brashear's actually gave a range. He has a book about that. It's twenty forty to twenty forty six, and yeah. I use that in my fifth book, The Heavens, and I thought. I just question this. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm just saying, could it be that is the seven year tribulation that the Bible predicts? And then I connected it with some data that I received from some uh, inside astronomer who's uh, goes by the name of Mike from around the world. He only speaks to one person on the podcast, which is this pastor. But he says that, and that because he's like, works for NASA, so he can't really like reveal who he really is. But he says that what they're seeing is that this thing is going to come around the sun, which to me makes perfect sense. Okay. It's going to come, it's, it's going to pass the sun twice. So I'm, I'm sorry, it's going to pass the earth twice as it goes around the sun. So it goes around the sun the first time. And as it, uh, the sun gives it energy and catapults it back into its orbit and sends it back out. And then it passes the earth the second time. And that is what the Old Testament prophets call the terrible day of the Lord. It's a day, right? And, and it, it's repeated throughout the whole Old Testament. All the prophets talked about it. And so this guy says that, that when they track this, they are estimating that that is going to take 24 to 36 hours, okay, for for it once the sun catapults it back out to pass the earth. And and I thought, okay, let's call that a day, 24 to 36 hours. 
And, and, and then the book of Isaiah talks about that the Lord is going to turn the earth upside down, which is biblical vernacular for pole shift, which means that the, that, that will be the final earthquake because there's going to be a great quake, like the, the biggest ever, you know, like we had a number nine in Chile, like I think 2004 and it knocked the earth off the axis and it actually shaved, uh, I think about 20, 30 seconds off of our day. So the, that's why, you know, people feel like time is speeding up. The days are getting shorter and they are, I mean, time is changing as we know it. So uh, it is possible that that what Jason Brashears predicted about this seven year, because you start with uh, 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 2040 to 2046, that's seven years, that that could be the seven year tri tribulation period that is predicted in, in the Bible prophecy. I don't know, but leave that's it at that. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, we should do this again sometime. This has been great. Oh, sure. I'd love yeah. to talk to you again. Before the pole shift. Yeah, before the pole shift. Yes, this definitely. Been <laughs> this has been great, Ella. Where can our listeners track you down? Do you have a website or any social media, anything like that? Thank you, Darren. Yes, uh, I'm on who's who uh, in the cosmiczoo.com. And uh, you can uh, find my books also on Amazon uh, in the world wide channels, um, Kindle, paperback, and I believe audio uh, through the subscription. And I'm also on Facebook, who's who in the Cosmic Zoo, and just find me. I have two pages, Ella LeBane. I post okay. a lot of pictures of what's happening around the sun. Um, and your book is like an encyclopedia. I mean, you've got all the different races. Like if, if anybody wants to know anything about kind of ETs, the races, disclosure, uh, the religious aspect, the archons, I mean, you've got everything in there. So. Yeah. Well, it's a start. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you writing another book about uh, Messianic Jews, too, in the future? Um, not necessarily per se. I am doing another book. Uh, I have two books coming down the pike, um, a, a, a book on breaking um, uh, generational curses and healing uh, trauma and and getting implants etheric implants removed and that's called finding freedom when horses don't fly um so that's uh coming hopefully by christmas um and then the sixth book of the series i'm saving for 2024 release which is the end times guide to the maserot which is all about the cosmology the star names that we touched upon a little bit about the message in the stars and yeah. how like salvation is not just for us. It's not just for earth humans. It's, you know, the whole universe. Right on. Thanks. Thank you for it's having cool. me. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. Ella. Come back. Thank anytime. You. God bless. And that was our chat with Ella LeBane. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, that was fantastic. It was great. I had a, I had a bunch of questions. We got to do it again. I could tell, yeah. yeah. Your UFOs. Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah. Well, this was beyond UFOs because she goes really deep into everything, you know, into the disclosure. I, I have a contact in the desert shirt here for you. Oh, do you? Oh, cool. Yeah. I was wearing my uh, my con Congress uh, 2013 UFO Congress shirt. Pre Gran America. Predates Gran America. Barely, like barely predates. predates. Yeah. Big thanks to Ella for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the few who choose to support our work. Go to America.ca slash support if you choose to join the ranks. 
can sign up for as little as a dollar a month or $100 a month, a billion dollars a month. Whatever uh, floats your boat, you decide. You can do a one-time donation. Uh, if you don't want to do that, head over to adultbrain.ca if you want to check out our audiobooks and our audiobook cod podcast. Or to grammaricaoutlaw.ca if you want to get into all the conspiracy stuff. And uh, contact at thecabin.com for all the trips. We've got a good one coming up in uh, Canada that's starting to get close and starting to get, seems like, a lot of tire kickers. So you might want to get in there and uh, get a spot secured before it's too late. I think we're down to nine, eight or nine spots on that. So contact at thecabin.com. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Somehow I built a rocket ship Out of the stuff dreams are made And popsicle sticks Please look at my rocket ship schematics Tell me it can fly to the moon Tell me I'm not a lunatic I bet, I bet, I bet, I bet I bet you think I'm a space cadet I bet, I bet, I bet you think I bet you think I'm a space cadet No regret, I do not fret Cause I am a space cadet Thank you.